don't know what your table looks like often, but often at the table, if you think about it, as you're gathering for a meal, um, there is encouraging words that happen. I'm going to start with the good. There's the praising of God that, that happens around the table a lot of times. There's um, the question of how was your day or, or what did today look like and, and the sharing of life. But then there's also around the table sometimes the cut downs, right? The um, not so encouraging words, maybe the getting upset at each other, um, gossip, lying, exaggeration, you, you name it. It, it can happen around the table, and it happens around <clears throat> our lives as well. I don't know if you guys ever played the game. You ever played the game Watch Your Mouth? You ever played that? All right. It's a very, uh, as far as hygiene goes, it's very aware of that. Just kidding. Um, you have to get it to understand that comment, I guess. But um, in it, it has mouthpieces like this. You ever seen these little little things? And so, how you play the game is you put this thing in your mouth. Something like this, I think. Oh, well. So, some of us, actually, I think I have the wrong, did I have the wrong way? No, that would choke me. Okay. Maybe this one's too big. Um, remember, Annette, we got to wash this, all right? <laughs> Sometimes we play that game in our, in our home, in our houses. It's a hilarious game. Um, but some of us probably, like Christianese, probably wish we kind of had a mouthpiece sometimes in life to, to guard us from saying some of the things we've said. Maybe we've wanted that before. We wanted to take words back that we said, but we can't get those words back. And so what we say is, is a big deal, and it's a, a big deal to God. It's significant. It's important. Our words matter. They matter to God. They matter to others. And so this morning, I want us to hear about that from James. James is going to address that very basic. He's going to speak about our words. But when you think about his letter to the church, that's how he's been thus far. He's been very basic, um, simple, maybe not, but basic. Basic Christianity is what James is addressing. What, what does Christianity look like lived out practically? And what have we seen? In chapter 1, he has said that Christians endure. When trials and challenges, when the valleys of life come, the troubles, we don't just throw in the, the towel and raise the white flag and, and give up. We keep plugging along by faith, trusting in the Lord. We endure, he tells us. And as we do, we grow in maturity, becoming more like Christ. Our faith grows. He tells us in chapter 1 as well that one who is a mature Christian is one who obeys the word of God. They live in obedience to God's word. They're just not mere hearers of God's word, but they're doers of the word of God. We've also heard in chapter 2, um, it was preached just a few weeks ago, that, that those who are believers, that they love all people just as Christ loves people. They don't show partiality based on bank accounts. They don't show partiality based on shoes or clothes or what one looks like, what one's skin color is. They love all people as Christ did. Christians also, we learned a few weeks ago as well, they are those who have faith and works that match each other. They have a profession and their profession is followed by a life of faithfulness that reflects their belief in Jesus Christ. 
Today we learn that a true believer, one who is growing and maturing in the faith, is one who has words that matches that faith. Our words mean a lot. They're a big deal. And no, it's not Christianese that God is wanting for us. But he is wanting something different. He's wanting a pure speech, a righteous speech, encouraging words, loving words, worship to him, yes. Words that match what Christ would say. That's what he wants. And so this morning, let's look at the word in in James 3 that we're encouraged with today. First, we're given a command in verse 1 of chapter 3. We're given a warning. And so listen to what he says. He says, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur stricter judgment. What is James speaking about? Well, specifically, he begins this section by addressing those who want to be vocational teachers, pastors. Now, you think about in James' world, he lived in Jerusalem. He was a church leader. And here he's now addressing the church that will be dispersed, and they're abroad, they're all over the place. And he's writing and encouraging them. And specifically, he addresses here those who want to be teachers, In his world, what he knew was rabbis. He was very familiar with that. In Judaism, it is a young boy's intention. It's his aspiration a lot of times to go through the rabbinical teachings, learning the law, going through school. I even saw this back in the 90s when I was in Jerusalem in a little boy's classroom down in downtown Jerusalem where they're Hasidic Jews all uh, in their get-up and yarmulkes and everything, and, and they're learning, and they're aspiring one day to be some of them rabbis. And so there were many people back in James' world and Judaism that wanted to be rabbis. And so many come to the Christian faith with with that background, with that understanding of aspiring to be a leader, a teacher. And, And so James is addressing those in the Christian church who want to maybe be pastors, lead teachers, those who vocationally want to teach or teach in the synagogue or whatever it may have been in his day. And he says to them, know that you will incur stricter judgment. And so today, what does that mean for us? He's speaking to pastors, teachers, leaders in the church, student pastors, um, everyone under that umbrella, yes, vocationally. Um, And he's telling them specifically that you will incur stricter judgment. What does that mean? What is this judgment? Of course, The audience will judge you, right? Could he be meaning that? They'll judge your sermon. How well did he do today? Was he funny enough? Did he have three points? Usually I don't, but if if I'd say I do, they're weird and you can't find them anyway. Uh, (laughs) uh, you, You name it. But that's not what he has in mind. He's not talking about the judgment of others, even though they may come. But he's talking about, I I think in two senses, Judgment in the sense of the daily or the present discipline or chastening that comes of those who, who teach, but, but yet they're not faithful to the word of God or they're not faithful with their life. That can come. I think even more specifically, he has in mind something in the future, at a later time, of a judgment that will come when Christ returns and when he comes and he gives eternal rewards 
to believers. In fact, it tells us in the word of God in Romans 14, 12, each one of us will give an account of himself to God. All those who know Christ will stand before God one day, yes, redeemed and saved. What a blessed day that will be. But yet we'll give an account for our life, our faithfulness. And so what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, I love what Paul, how he puts it in 1 Corinthians 3, 13 through 15. He says, each man's work will become evident. Did you know Jesus even says our words, every word will become evident? That's pretty interesting. Everything we've said, every post we've made on Facebook will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. And so the idea is that the teacher, his eternal reward, her eternal reward will reflect the faithfulness of their teaching. James didn't share this to discourage people from necessarily being teachers, but I think a couple things in mind. He was giving a warning to false teachers. In his day, many false teachers would rise and teach, as Paul would say, another gospel, a gospel of works, not of faith, which one would be saved by grace through faith. Not that, but they would come and they would teach a totally different line of beliefs and infiltrate the church and cause others to drift and flee from the faith. And so James is no doubt communicating this to them, but also to those who aspire, as Paul will tell Timothy, the role of elder uh, to teach, to, to be on guard, to be aware of your life and your words, to be aware of your teaching, of what you teach. In fact, he told Timothy this, not to, to rush in, but, but to be ready, to be disciplined, he says. Be diligent, he tells Timothy, Paul does, to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, but accurately handing the, handling the word of truth. And so a teacher is to do that. I, I love uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, um, all-time favorite preacher uh, back in the 1800s called the Prince of Preachers, and he has a little book. It's not little, actually. It's big. Uh, it's called Lectures to My Students, and in it, he talks about how he would train and teach up his, these students he had in the ministry, and one of the things he tells them is, is this. He says, every time you go up to the pulpit to communicate God's word, go with your head low. What does that mean? Go humbly. He was telling his students, go that way because you need to realize the seriousness about, about what you're going to do. You're going to communicate on behalf of God to God's people, God's word. And that's a big deal. And he said this, go with your head low so that when you're done, you can leave with your head high. Not in pride but knowing that you honored the Lord. He said this, though, great warning. He said, if you go with your head high in pride to the pulpit, you will surely leave it with your head low in dishonor. I'll be honest, every time I preach without fail, it doesn't matter where, if it's here or somewhere else, I always remember that. It, God's Spirit 
Sometimes I, I feel like maybe I forget it, but he always reminds me before I come up here, head low, head low, head low. During the week when I'm preparing, head low, head low. And that's how he, he wants teachers to approach the teaching of God's word. Now, you might be here this morning and say, well, okay, is James just specifically talking to vocational leaders? Is he just talking to those who, who teach vocationally? That's their, their job or whatever it may be. No, I, he is speaking, I believe, also to all believers. And you might be saying, well, what do you mean by that? I, I, all believers teach. And, and so I think we have to look at this. We, we can't just discard it and say, well, that's for this group of people. It is mainly, and he is saying here, hey, be on guard. But I think also we have to look at our life and say, okay, as a believer, what does God want me to do? And, and if we look at Matthew 28, we've, we've heard it before many of times. In verse nine, uh, 18, 19, and 20, he tells us this, that we are to go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we're to go and make disciples. That's for all of us as disciples, followers of Christ. We're to go and share the gospel, to tell others what it means to know Jesus. And then in verse 19, what does it say? You can read it. It says, and teaching them all that, what? All that I've commanded you. And, and so, all of us are teachers in, in one way or, or the other. We teach our kids. We teach those who we lead to Christ. We're teaching them about the gospel and who Jesus is. Right now, there is a crew of leaders back here teaching your children, even in pre preschool, teaching your children. I got to communicate with them at the 9 a.m. hour this, and that we all need to take serious the great privilege of holding out the word of God and that we handle it wisely, that we have something to communicate and say truthfully and rightfully about the Lord and who he is. And so in one aspect, we are all teachers. We're all influencers. We all get to impact others and have that opportunity. And so we all must realize that, that every word we communicate about the gospel and about the word of God is important. And look at verse two. He says, for we all stumble in many ways. So why does James give us this warning in verse one? Well, because of what he just said in verse two. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. And so what is James saying here? He says, the reason I give this command, the reason I give this warning is because we all stumble in various ways, in many different ways. Paul says in Romans 3, 23, all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. And so James specifically here addresses that we can stumble in what we say as well, specifically. And so for the teacher and for the follower of Christ, this is a big deal. We must be mindful of our words. We must guard what we say. Now, what does it mean when he says here, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man? What does he have in mind there? I mean, this idea of perfect. I think two thoughts go along with that word, two ideas. First of all, perfect means absolute perfection. That's one meaning. And so you think about what he says there. If, if no one stumbles in his ways, he is an absolutely perfect person. Wow. I, 
I have not met that person yet. Oh, wait, I have. I have. His name's Jesus, right? Jesus. He's the only one that fits that bill. You think about Jesus' life with his words. He never failed in his words. He never used God's name in vain. He never lied. He never failed on a promise. He never was disrespectful, dishonorable to anybody. He loved everyone. He spoke the truth in love. He spoke truth. He shared the hope of the gospel. He was the hope of the gospel. And so you look at Jesus' life, yeah, he fits that bill. So, so that word perfect right there, is that what James means? I, I don't think so. I think it's the second meaning. The word perfect there is the idea of completeness or maturity. And if you go back to chapter one, that's how he used the word in verse four. As those who go through trials, they endure and they're growing, they're maturing, they're becoming more and more like Christ. And so the idea here is the one who does not stumble in what he says gives evidence, gives proof, right? And that's what we've seen so far. Those who go through trials and endure and, and are trusting in, in Christ, they give evidence. Uh, those who uh, obey God's word, they're just not mere hearers, but they're doers. They give evidence. Those who love without any impartiality, what do they do? They give evidence. Those who have a profession of faith and show it by their works. They're not saved by their works, but they show it by their works. What do they do? They give evidence. And so here what we find is those who do not stumble in what they say, they give evidence of what? A purified, changed, redeemed heart that is growing and maturing. We're not perfect. James just said we stumble in many ways. But those who are growing and maturing in Christ, who know the Lord, their speech, their words match their profession. They have right speaking, pure speaking, Christ-exalting words, God-honoring words, words that lift up others. And James says here, at the end of verse 2, I love what he says. He says, such a man who is growing and maturing in Christ is able to bridle the whole body as well. So what he's saying here is if, if you can control your words, you can also control other areas of your life as well. So James is speaking about not just words, is he? He's speaking about the heart. And Jesus said this. Jesus says, the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart in Matthew 12. From the overflow of the heart, the mouth will speak. What's here will come out eventually through here without fail. Sometimes our words can be quick to blame others. We don't take responsible for even sometimes what we say or our sin, and we put it on others. In reality, what James is saying here is he's saying, listen, the problem lies within. The problem lies with me. And so what is James saying here right out of the gates? And I think this is significant. I, I think underlining, there's a point he's making of, of our need. Because he says we stumble in many ways, various ways, all of us. We need the gospel. We, we never should stop making room for the gospel of Jesus Christ in our lives. Because that's the only thing that can change us. That's it. 
We have no other hope. We can't do Rosetta Stone. Not going to work. Can't put a guard in our mouth. Not going to work. Not going to work. But we need the gospel daily. I want to do this. Before we continue through James and what he says about these words that we say, listen to what Peter says. Just, just a couple pages to the right. In Second Peter verse 1, I pray this is encouraging to you. If you might be saying, you know what, I, I've, I've got habits in my life, and, and maybe yours isn't specifically struggling with your mouth, but maybe you're in here and you're like, you know what, I, I do struggle with certain things with what I say. And maybe it's uh, not just words with what I say, but we use words in many different ways during the day. Text, email, Facebook. Um, sometimes the autocorrect gets us. I mean, you name it. <laughs> it's not our best friend all the time. Uh, but, but we use different words throughout the day in many different ways. A and so maybe there's struggle there. But I want you to listen to these encouraging words and how significant the gospel is when it comes to what we say in really every aspect of our life. But, but look at verse 3 of Second Peter 1. Listen to what he says. Seeing that God's divine power the power of Jesus Christ has granted to us, those who are believers, everything. I want you to hear that. Everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Jesus who called us by his own glory and excellence. And so do you, do you hear that? He's saying, believer, Christ has given you everything. For this life, for godliness, everything you need, he's given it to you pertaining to his true knowledge, his glory, who he is. For by these, it tells us, verse 4, Jesus has granted to us his precious, magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. And so here's what he's saying. Because Jesus has given everything you need, you have the riches of his grace, every drop of it. What he says is, in verse four, by this, by these, he has granted, gifted to you by his grace, these promises, and there's a purpose to it, so that you would become partakers of what? Christ's character, of his divine nature, that you would become more and more like him, what James is talking about, that you would grow and become mature. And listen to what he says in verse five. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence. So here's what Peter says. Hey, listen, you have it. You have it. Now in faith, actualize it. You have the power. It's granted to you. You've had everything that the Lord has given you that he has he's given it to you now apply it and so he says this applying all diligence in verse 5 in your faith supply moral excellence in your moral excellence knowledge in your knowledge self-control so here's what he's saying he says you you have self-control right that's the fruit of the spirit the holy spirit the divine nature lives inside of you and you have the fruit of self-control and so what Peter is saying is, you have that, and I think what James is saying here, actualize it, <laughs> apply it, live it out, you have it. 
He says self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance. In your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And so maybe we struggle being kind with our words to other, others. And Jesus said, hey, you have it. You have it. I've, I've, I've granted that to you. Apply it. We have that. And so that's what the gospel does, right? It changes me. It changes you. And so the gospel must be what we continually come back to. Because that's how we change. That's how we become like what he's saying here. And he says, not only brotherly kindness, but love. And lastly, look at, listen to verse 8. If these qualities are yours, those who have been saved and are increasing, growing, maturing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so what Peter's saying is, hey, listen, this is what the gospel does. The gospel changes you ever increasingly and grows you in these things as you continue to apply them and actualize them in your life and live them out, and you become this useful disciple of Christ, fruitful, living out life of the kingdom in everything you do, but here's the deal. I think what Jesus wants to say also and what James wants to say and Peter wants to say is, listen, this isn't for an hour and a half on Sunday. This isn't just for Sunday. This isn't for Sunday. But I think the gospel, we've got to understand that the gospel, the kingdom of God, is about 24-7 living out the gospel of Christ. And so what that means, what that looks like, is means this gathering is not the summation of it. It's not even the conclusion of it. This, this, this gathering is a celebration. As we come together with our lives and, and, and celebrate what God has done and what he's doing and hopefully what he's gonna do this week in and through us, it's about coming and getting equipped and trained up and taught about coming and getting encouraged it's about coming encouraging one another and then lastly it's about being sent it's about being sent and so what that means if if we're being sent from this place it means something else is happening when we're not here and so the gospel life the kingdom of god continues as we live out by the power of Christ, the knowledge of Christ, and the qualities that he has granted to us out there. And so what that means, according to James, is our words mean a big deal when we leave these doors. And he wants them to be useful. And then look at verse 3 of James, and we're going to roll fast. I know some of you guys are looking at the time like, how's he going to do this? I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. So look at verse three. If we put the bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds and are still directed by a very small rudder, wherever the inclination, desire of the pilot desires, so also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things, and the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity, the very world of sin. Wow. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. 
James is interesting here. In verse 3, he's a little soft, right? What does he say? And I think about the horse ride, right? The bits in the mouth, and then boom, in verse 6, he ends with, your, your tongue's like hell, <laughs> right? Interesting, he uses these examples. Why does he use these examples? To talk about the power and the influence of the tongue. The bit in the horse is small, yet it controls the entire body. The small rudder in a huge big boat driven by big waves and winds on the Sea of Galilee and the Mediterranean Sea that James would see. He noticed, wow, that small rudder though is what's giving it direction. What great influence that has. And he says, just like the small bit, just like the small rudder, so it is with our small tongues, our mouths. You see, what is a small muscle makes a big impact. What's a small muscle can flex greatly and influence. And he says here, it can influence for the bad. It's even like a, a fire. The tongue is, he says. The very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body. I think, yes, he's talking about us as individuals. It does that. But also, I think he's talking about, he has in mind, I think he leaves room for it, especially later that we're going to see, for the body of Christ as well. You think about the tongue. What can it do? It can cause conflict. The tongue can split marriages. It can split families. The, the tongue can bring somebody down. It can cause a middle school student who gets bullied in their life, which we heard a couple weeks in the news. I mean, it's real. These words, they're devastating. They can be damaging. The effects can tear down relationships. It can cause murder. It can cause war. The tongue is powerful. It's capable of great harm. All the evil characteristics of fallen men. Think about it. Idolatry, blasphemy, greed, lust, coveting. Find expression through what? Our words and through our mouths. That's why James says the tongue is a fire. That's why he says, lastly, it sets on fire the course of our life and it, sets on, it is set on fire by hell. It's the only time in the New Testament hell is used except in the Gospels. And with great impact, it is used here. What is hell? Hell is Satan's place. It's the place where demons dwell. It's the place where those who defy and are against God dwell. It's the place of unbelieving. James is saying that the tongue can be used as Satan's tool to fulfill his purposes, to pollute, corrupt, steal, kill, and destroy. And our words, when they are controlled by the enemy, can do that. And as believers, even though we have by Christ had conquered for us through the cross the power of sin the presence of sin is still very much real and we too can allow our words to have just a devastating effect as an unbeliever and so look at verse 7 quickly. He says in verse 7, For every species of beasts and birds of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed or subdued and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame the tongue. It is, restless, it is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. You think about it. Humans have brought all types of animals under control or subdued them 
I don't think any of us are going to go lay in the middle of a jungle with a lion. I don't think that's what James means. But you think about if you go to a circus, you've seen the lion jump through a ring. I think he kind of has an idea of that kind of subduing in mind. But he says here, yet we cannot tame the tongue. So what is James saying here? James simply is saying, we need help. <laughs> we need help. On our own, we cannot control our tongues. And so at the end of the day, what's our only hope? What's our only answer? It is the gospel. It is the only help. And it's the helper. It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our only hope. To come and help us with our words. To make them, instead of destructive, to be full of life. He also says in verse 9, our words can be inconsistent. Look at this. Verse 9 and 10, with it we bless our Lord and Father. With it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. So what he's saying here, we can stand here on a Sunday morning and we can sing and we've all been guilty of this. And we can worship God. But yet we can leave and we can curse men. Maybe even curse the pastor, I don't know, something like that. We curse men, we could we'd be disrespectful to others, not loving toward others, yet we just sung about how great our God is, but yet our great God who made the person we just cut down. And James says we can be inconsistent. And he says from the same mouth, in verse 10, come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. You see, God wants to change our hearts so that our mouths are consistent, that our yeses are yes and our no and our no. And sometimes, I'll be honest, I, I struggle with that. Sometimes I can be a yes man, and I can say yes a lot, sometimes say yes too much, but yet I, I, I don't always fall through. I don't like that. And so this is a big deal, James says. We must be consistent with our words, not hypocritical. And so your words in closing reflect what your heart is really like. And I think you could say, James would say, what you say truly, what your words communicate is really who you are. Just as he said down, down in verse 2, what your fruit is is who you are. In verse 11, he says, does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a vine produce figs? I, we know the answer, no and no. Nor can salt water produce fresh. And so what he's saying here is such a thing to think about is contrary to nature. It, it cannot happen. And so the point is a hateful heart, an impure heart, cannot produce loving words and pure words. An unrighteous heart cannot produce righteous words. That's why Jesus said a good tree cannot produce bad fruit. Jesus said, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. So then you will know them by what? Their fruits. James thought here is that if we've been changed and we've been made righteous by Christ alone, then... Our actions and our words should reflect that. And I think just, just to wrap up, he, here's just, just 
kind of how I'm thinking on this is I've, I've been thinking through the week and, and really even just down to even while we're singing is it's not just in what we don't say. It's not just, you know, sometimes in our Christian life we think about, well, I don't, I don't talk like that guy and I don't, you know, talk like this and I, you know, I don't lie. And so sometimes we just think it's all the things we, hey, I don't do those things. Of course, the Bible says don't use God's name in vain. Don't, don't lie. Uh, don't gossip. Um, no coarse joking. Um, and we could go on and on and on. The Bible says to be silent. Sometimes we need to maybe use less words because what happens, a lot of times we talk a lot and that gets us in trouble. The Proverbs says that it's wise to be one who is careful with their words, even to choose silence over much talking. But I don't really think even that, I mean, yeah, we, we can't, there are things we're not supposed to do, and yes, we've got to be silent at times, but I also want us to think about, well, what about, what does God want me to say? Because he wants our words to influence greatly for the kingdom. And, and so this isn't just, well, I've got to be careful. I've got to be careful. i got to, you know. <laughs> no. It's, I've got to be ready. I've got to be prepared. Because God wants us to have something to say. Right? I mean, think about everything he, he says in Scripture, just to, to think of it through th- a few things. First Peter 3, um, speak of the hope you have. Be ready to share of the hope you have in Christ. Have your words seasoned with salt. He tells us in Colossians, as, as a body of, of Christ, that we would admonish one another, encourage one another, even sometimes rebuke one another. What? In all wisdom. It means we have something to share and to tell somebody. Acts 1.8, be my witnesses. We have something to say about Jesus, who he is, how he's changed our life. Greet one another. I mean, we could go on and on and on, encourage one another, lift one another up. And so today, I, I want to ask you as we get ready for communion, are your words, whether it's in Competition events, that one's for me. Conversation, social media, are they honoring to God? Do they honor the Lord? Do you follow through on your commitments? Are, are you a yes, yes person? Are you a no, no person? How often do you verbally declare God's promises? So God wants us to say something. He wants us to declare his promises. And are you encouraging with your words? Are you person of encouragement. Let me pray.